0: This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Morning. Excellent is his name and Edmund. Amen. Spirit of the Lord is here this morning. Better is one day in his courts, right? Than a thousand elsewhere, so good i um, thankful for you this morning. Hello to those watching online, those in overflow today out there. We love you. Um, man, such a good weekend already. God's just getting started. Um, I'm continuing our series on uh, Teach Us to Pray. We're in week two. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Get ready to take some notes. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful for what you are stirring in us and our hearts for your name. You're so good. Excellent is your name. All of the glory in the earth, all of the glory in the church, it belongs to you and you alone. Amen. Uh, in 2004, the CEO of International Justice Mission, or IJM for short, he gave his colleagues a gift. Now, if you don't know what IJM is, it is a global organization dedicated to ending modern-day slavery for God. Their mission statement is until all are safe and free. And they exist to help the millions, millions of men, women, and children that are trapped in modern-day sex trafficking and labor trafficking and all sorts of other injustices. Now, when the CEO presented this gift, To his colleagues, IJM was experiencing like epic growth on a global scale. They were partnering with government officials, with law enforcement. They were rescuing victims out of the most desperate places in the world, and they were proving that justice for the poor is possible. They're witnessing all kinds of miracles, all kinds of breakthrough, and it was clear that God was just getting started. So back to the gift. What did the CEO give to his colleagues as they were partnering with the Holy Spirit to change the world? He gave them a blank leather journal with the words 830 Stillness embossed on the cover. Now why? Why would this large staff of high performing lawyers, criminal investigators like DC professionals, social workers, like real life superheroes, why would they need a new journal And what does 8.30 stillness mean? The CEO wanted IJM to experience more of God's power. He wanted them to experience more of God's presence because after all, everything that they were doing, everything they had committed their lives work to was unto him. Now, they already had established this regular rhythm of stopping every day to pray together as a staff 11am, which is more than a lot of organizations can say. But even with this prayer rhythm, the CEO was noticing that it felt like most of the work that they were doing day in and day out could be categorized as prayerless striving. So they were praying every day, but their work, their so important work still felt like prayerless striving. He longed for transformation in his own lives, in the lives of his colleagues, and in the lives of those that they were rescuing from slavery. So he spent some time seeking the Lord. He goes on a sabbatical, and he comes back knowing that he's met with the Lord and knowing that what his company needed was to learn to be still. What his company needed was to learn to wait on the Lord and to simply be with him. So with the blessing of his board of directors, on the day that the staff received those journals marked 8.30 stillness, and every day after that, work was to begin promptly at 8.30 with silence and with stillness. No checking email, no answering text messages, no dropping a file off at somebody's desk, no starting a copier and letting it make some copies. Uh, Laptops closed, phones off. Just silence and sitting and waiting for 30 whole minutes. 1,800 se- seconds of silence every day. What a shift. Like imagine, imagine these, these high capacity professionals like rushing into their offices every day with the monumental task of until all are safe and free, imagine them arriving at their desk and their first order of business is not to reach back out to that government official or check into that sting operation or to to answer back this important text message. Their first order of of business of the day is to pause, to pause. Oftentimes, I think that we sit down at our desks or we come to our secret place to meet with the Lord or maybe we're sitting down at our dinner tables to be with our family and our friends and it can feel somewhat like we are in a snow globe that a four-year-old boy has gotten a hold of and he is shaking that thing with all of his might and all the snow and all the glitter. It's swirling around in chaos and we cannot see, we cannot make out the scene inside. But when we learn to pause, and we learn to wait, and we learn to be still before the Lord, it is as if that rambunctious boy's mother comes and takes the snow globe out of his hand and gently sets it on a table and whispers to him, just for a moment, let's be still and let all the snow and let all the glitter and all the water settle. And alas, we can see the scene that the maker designed The CEO at IJM wanted his day, or wanted his staff to start the day not in a swirl of chaos, not in a swirl of adrenaline, not in a swirl of flurries, but to start the day on pause, letting the snow settle so that they could become aware of God's presence, so that they could, in this moment, become aware of their longings, aware of their need for him. He writes, what we have learned in doing this is that the transformation we so long for comes when, whether we feel like it or not, we actually show up and choose to be still in the presence of our good God. Interesting, last night there was a a girl here who works for IJM, and this was back in 2004, and she said they still practice 830 stillness. It does not matter who you are or what line of work that you are in. Your life was not meant to be a life full of prayerless striving. It wasn't meant to be one prayerless striving flurry after the next. Your life was meant to be filled with God's power. Your life was meant to be filled with God's presence. Your life was meant to be lived in the unforced rhythms of grace. And I present to you today that that kind of life, a life that is hidden in Christ, is a life that is peppered with pauses. We're going to be going through this acronym for PRAY uh, over the next couple of weeks. P is for pause, R is for rejoice, A is for ask, and Y is for yield, and today is all about the pause. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you just place your hand over your heart? Just make this your prayer. God, come and break up the fallow ground in my heart. Give me good soil today. Let the the, the, the soil of my heart be fertile and receptive to your transforming word. Thank you, Lord. We give you our attention, our focus, our eyes are on you. We want to hear from you, Lord. Come and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. Pete Gregg says, the best way to start praying is to actually stop praying, to pause, to be still, to put down your prayer list and just sit and be quiet for a bit, to stop talking at God long enough to focus on the wonder of who he actually is. Scripture has a lot to say about the pause, about stillness, about silence, about waiting. Can I read to you 12 verses this morning? Yeah? Yes. You sure? Okay. Um, I guess I don't need your permission, but just want to make sure you guys are on board. Um, 12 verses, and understand this is a narrowed down list of the verses that talk about stillness, waiting, and pausing before the Lord. Psalm 62, 1 says, truly, my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. Psalm 62, 5 and 6, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 25, 5, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7 and 9, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Psalm 40, one through two, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Psalm 135 and six, this is one of my favorites. I wait for the Lord. My soul, waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 49, 23, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Isaiah 30, 18, blessed are all those who wait for him. Acts 1, 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Lamentations three twenty five the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Scripture has a lot to say about waiting on the Lord, about being still, about being silent. Additionally, the word selah appears 71 times throughout the Psalms. I will now read you all of those. Just kidding. (laughs) But this word selah is in the Psalms 71 times. Bible scholars aren't exactly sure what it originally meant, but the best guess as they studied it in context is that this word selah was an instruction to pause. Like reading through the Psalms and then it's like, push pause. It's an invitation to weigh the meaning of the words being prayed. Andrew Murray once said, a minister has no more solemn duty than to teach people to wait on God. I really want to think about this for a second. I want you to think about this with me, this statement. A minister has no more solemn, no more serious duty than to teach people to wait on God. But what about teaching people to pray? What about teaching people to evangelize, to lay hands on the sick, to cast out demons, to love their neighbors, to give, to, to, to continue the ministry of Jesus? All of those things are so important. And I think that most people would probably say all of those things are important and they're more important than teaching people to sit around and wait on God. But here's what he is getting at a minister can teach people to lay hands on the sick, to evangelize, to pray, to cast out demons. He can teach them all of the things, to love their neighbor. But if they do not know how to wait on God, their strength will not be renewed. If they don't know how to wait on God, things like pride are gonna spring up in their hearts. If they don't know how to wait on God, their hearts, which we're supposed to guard above all else, are gonna be untended. If we don't know how to wait on God, all the activity, all of the noise, all the busy is going to drown out the whispering voice, the still small voice of our King. If we do not wait on God, if we don't know how to wait on Him, we will run and we will grow weary. We will grow weary in doing well. Murray was actually tracking with the teaching of Jesus when he said that we have no more solemn duty than teaching people to wait on God. I told you to turn to Luke 10, look at verse 38. It's one of my favorite stories. Probably very familiar to most people in the room. So don't tune out as we read this. In fact, I wanna invite you to imagine this in your mind's eye as you hear this familiar passage. Luke 10, 38 through 42. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Can you see her there? Can you see Mary there, sitting and listening? Like this woman has paused everything else going on to sit at the feet of Jesus. It goes on, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The Phillips translation says it like this, Mary has chosen the best part and you must not tear it away from her. It's kind of like Jesus is like, Martha, I know that you think that there are some pressing matters that she needs to get up and see about, but I need you to understand that you must not tear her away from this moment with me because this moment with me is more important than whatever you think is so pressing over here. The message translation says, one thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It is the main course, and it won't be taken from her. Every time I hear the story or read the story, I think of this old My Morning Jacket song that goes, baby, there's just one thing, one thing that does it, that does it for me. Jesus is like, Mary has found that one thing that does it for her. Don't take it away from her. Mary, this, Martha, this one thing, this one thing will do it for you too. There's just one thing. It's sitting, it's waiting, it's listening in my presence. Okay, waiting was a challenge in the days of Martha and Mary. Waiting was a challenge back in the 1800s when Andrew Murray is saying that the most important thing that a minister can do is teach people to wait. I was thinking about this. If Murray thought that teaching people to wait was the most important thing a minister could do back in the 1800s, the 1800s, before the advent of anything. Like, there was no phonograph, there was no radio, there was no television, there was no phones, there was no computers, there were no cars. Like, what did people have to do back then besides wait? Um, But if it was a big deal back then, how much more? How much more important? do we have to take teaching people to wait on God? How much more must we learn to wait on God in the age of Amazon Prime, in this age of Instacart, in this age of Instagram, in this age of on-demand TV, in this age of, of chat GPT? Like, we don't have to wait for anything anymore. This is the age, and we all know it, this is the age of the dramatically shrinking human attention span, struggling to pause, to be still, to wait. This is a tale as old as time. But I think in the age that we are living in, people who truly know how to wait on the Lord are on the critically endangered species list. Blaise Pascal in the 1600s said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I think there could be a whole lot of truth in that statement because think about it. Since the 1600s, we've had so many advances in medicine, technology, science, but humanity has more problems than ever before and humanity is struggling to sit alone quiet in a room more than ever before. There was a study done in 2014 that proved that people would rather be electrically shocked than left alone with their thoughts. (laughs) Participants were placed in a room with no phone, no TV, no reading material, no music, and they were told to just sit and think. Think about their favorite memories. Think about their favorite meal that they love to prepare. Think about a sport that they love to play for 6 to 15 minutes. Several participants got so bored so quickly that they resorted to pushing a button in the room that they knew would cause them to experience an electric shock. 67% of all men (laughs) and 25% of all women shocked themselves rather than sit quietly. The man conducting the study said, "I, I found it quite surprising and a bit disheartening that people seem to be so uncomfortable when left to their own devices, that they can be so bored that even being shocked seemed more entertaining. When you read through the scriptures and you start to grasp how critical, waiting on the Lord, pausing in his presence, being still and silent before him is, you will start to see that maybe Satan isn't trying to make you bad, maybe he's trying to keep you busy. Maybe he's trying to keep you entertained. Maybe he's trying to keep you distracted so that pausing to be still at the feet of Jesus is not a regular rhythm of your life. In his classic book, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis um, writes this um, allegory of of, of a senior demon named Uncle Screwtape, and he is giving advice to his nephew, a junior demon named Wormwood on how to lead a human soul away from the enemy, in their case, God. How to lead a human soul away from God. In one letter, uh, Screwtape is writing to his nephew um, because his nephew is wanting to get the human soul that he has been assigned to to commit some outrageous, spectacular, horrific sin like murder. So he's giving him some advice. He says, you will say that these are very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. I know you want to report some big thing that you've, you've got your, your human to do. He says, but do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. The only thing that matters is the extent in which you separate the man from God. Remember, Jesus told Martha, the only thing that matters is this connection with me here at my feet, sitting and listening. And the, the, the demon is saying, hey, the only thing that matters is that you break up this connection. He goes on to say, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if playing cards can do the trick. I've never been tempted to murder, but I've been tempted to live a hurried life. I have been tempted to live in a constantly swirling snow globe. I have been tempted to fill every moment of my day with content, with music, with media, with talking, with working, with movement. Murder is no better than cards, if playing cards can do the trick. Murder is no better than YouTube, Instagram, Hulu, sports, busyness, a spotless house, or anything else that edges you into the nothing, away from the light, anything that that prevents you from living a life consistently pressing pause long enough to sit at the feet of Jesus. The more I practice this, the more I study this, the more I see it all throughout Scripture, this theme of waiting and pausing. And the more I see that, like Jesus said, His feet, sitting at His feet, in His presence, paused before Him is the most important thing, and we shouldn't let anyone or anything take it away from us. So how are you doing with this whole pause thing? Specifically, in the area of prayer. I've got some questions for you to consider today. Has the way that you pray become an extension of the swirling way that you live the rest of your life? Like, are you coming into prayer in the middle of a snow globe blizzard and leaving prayer in the middle of the same snow globe blizzard? Like, is there any exchange that's taken place? Is there any transformation? Is there any shift that's happened? Are you distracted when you pray? Are you bored when you pray? Are you going 100 miles a minute when you pray? Just like, brrr. do you feel disconnected? Like, like, maybe you're talking, you feel like maybe you're talking more to yourself or like the air than you are talking to the living God. Maybe you know you should pray, but you lack a desire to pray. Hey, man, I know I should, but I just. I don't really want to. I have no desire to pray. I think I want to desire to pray, but I, I'm just not there. If so, you're not alone. Myself and every person that I know that loves the Lord, we've come up against these obstacles in prayer. Why is this? Why do we face these obstacles, these roadblocks? Why do we have trouble? Like Pastor Tondra, I talked about a couple weeks ago, pushing through to the brazen, brazen altar. There's probably multiple factors, but I believe that one of the um, the most important ones that we need to grasp today is that I believe that this stuff happens in prayer because we have not understood why we need to pause in prayer and we don't know how to pause in prayer. And because of the lack of knowledge, because of a lack of knowledge on why and how we need to wait on the Lord, the P in prayer gets neglected the pause in prayer gets neglected. And if the pause gets neglected, then it affects the whole other side of prayer. It affects all the other aspects of prayer. So today, I wanna give you the how. I wanna give you the why. If there's a lack of knowledge there, I wanna help give you some knowledge on on, on why it's important to pause in prayer. So I've got this simple framework for pausing in prayer. I'm gonna give you three whys, and then I'm gonna give you the ABCs of the how. Sound good? All right, number one, <clears throat> we pause to recenter. We pause to recenter. Oftentimes, when I am leading midweek prayer here on Wednesdays at the church, I'll take a moment before we start and just have everybody pause and just have everybody be still. Uh, before we start singing a song and before we start just like mindlessly saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Instead of just jumping right into prayer and hoping that our our hearts are going to eventually catch up to our lips, it's like, no, let's take a moment and let's pause and let's get our lips and our hearts and our attention and our thoughts and our minds and our physical body. Let's get everything. Take all of our scattered senses and let's get still before the Lord. Let's focus on him because it's Wednesday at noon. And there are a lot of people coming into the prayer room, myself included. You're coming into the prayer room from a budget meeting. You just got out of a a difficult conversation with a coworker. You've been cleaning a super messy house, or you've been changing diapers, or you've been scrolling Instagram, and you're overwhelmed by all the things going on in the world. Everybody's coming into the prayer room from different walks of life, but everybody's coming into the prayer room swirling. So we take a moment, we pause to center ourselves until we are ready to host the whispering king who speaks in a still small voice. St. John of the Cross, he described this moment of centering as my house being now all stilled. My snow globe being now all stilled. Every night before I get into bed, I have this routine of stilling the house. I go and I turn off all the lights that have been left on. I make sure every door is locked. None of them are ever locked. I make sure that every door is locked I uh, make sure everything's in its right place. Like I put the pillows back on the couch the way I like them to be on the couch. I move shoes so that nobody falls in the middle of the night. The doggie is in her room and the kids are in their beds. The house is all stilled. And now I can enter into this place of rest. Pausing before we pray is like getting the house all stilled. We're taking a moment to turn off all of the like distracting, shiny things that are going to get us distracted. We're taking a moment to lock up all the doors so that nobody can get in to disturb the peace. We're taking a moment to make sure that everything is in its right place. You, Lord, are on the throne of my heart in the rightful place. You're on the throne of my heart and I'm making sure that I'm in the right place at the foot of the cross, in the throne room of the king, making sure everything is in the right place. Now I am ready to enter the place of God's presence. Now I am ready to hear the whispering king knocking on the door of my heart. Revelation 3.20 says, behold, behold. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That is an incredible promise. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will take the time, and quiet themselves and hear my voice, and they'll open the door. I will come in and I will eat with them. I will break bread with them. I will fellowship with them. I will be in the most intimate relationship with them and he with me. We pause to recenter. We pause to let go of all the competing distractions, and there are so many. There's so many. We pause until we are present, to where we are, to what we're doing, and until we are aware of God's presence in the room. We pause to recenter. Number two, we pause to behold. To behold, remember it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Oftentimes, we treat God as a product to be consumed instead of a wonder to behold. What does it mean to behold? It's not a word that we use in everyday conversation. It's like a behold. What does it mean? Strawn Coleman writes in his book Beholding Beholding is the practice of looking to God with an open soul, admiring Him, allowing Him to be, and watching Him move in and around our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. Prayer is petition. Prayer is asking. Prayer is spiritual warfare and pulling down principalities and powers and strongholds. It's all of those things. It's interceding. And we're going to get to some of that in this series. But it's also beholding. It's admiring God's beauty without an agenda. When I talk about his beauty, I'm talking about his nature. I'm talking about his character. I'm talking about his Attributes. His perfection. I'm talking about thinking about a scene from the Gospels, like maybe him taking the children up in his arms and just thinking about how beautiful Jesus' love for the children is. Thinking about him, his beauty. Too often we come to God only seeking answers. I need answers, only seeking blessing. Bless me, bless me, bless me. I need peace, I need peace. I need some emotional high, like I need to feel something. But we must remember that God is not a product to be consumed. And this is really hard for us because consumerism has been so ingrained in us through the culture that we live in. Before the Industrial Revolution, products that you used in your homes, um, they were connected to the people who made them. Okay? So you used to know the person who made your pulpit. You used to know the person who made your dinner table. You would know the person who made your shoes. um, Everything uh, that you had in your house, there was usually a story attached to it, a person attached to that product. But the Industrial Revolution changed all of that. Uh, People stopped caring about the story, about the person, about the craftsman behind the shoes, behind the pulpit, and they started caring more about getting the best possible product for the lowest possible price and the quickest time possible. What was the result of that huge shift in our culture? Coleman writes, what we value, it slowly slipped from those who provide our things to the things they provide. In turn, this way of seeing the world, this disconnection between product and person, this disconnection we could say between created and creator has seeped into our spirituality, radically affecting how we see and experience God. When we come to God in prayer, are we coming with a consumer mindset? Do we see him as just a way to achieve the best possible life at the lowest possible cost at our earliest convenience? Do we care about being with God or only about what we hope he will provide for us? When we pause and when we get still, we create space to really check our hearts. Like, is it God that we want? Is it God I'm after in this moment or just the security, just the emotional experience? Is it God that I want or is it just positive outcomes? Is it just personal gain that I'm after? Is it God that I want or is it just like a checked mark on some spiritual Christian to-do list? When we pause to behold, when we pause to admire, we're remembering that God is not a product to be consumed but that he is a God to be loved. God wants to be loved by you. Meditate on that for a week. God wants to be loved by you. He wants to be loved by me. You remember that story of Jesus after the resurrection where he's making some fish for his disciples on the beach? And he comes to Peter. Do you remember the question that he asked Peter three times? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You know what's behind that question? You know what we see when we look behind that question? It's God's desire to be loved by us. By us, who reject him, who are sinners, who who deny him, who deny his power in our lives, or who don't give him the time of day. He wants to be loved by us. And I believe when we get still and we get quiet and we hear the knock on our heart and we hear his voice, one of the first things that we'll hear is, Sarah, do you love me? Do you love me? And when we can respond, yes, Lord, we love you. Yes, Lord, we love you. Then it just becomes this beautiful back and forth where it's like, I really love you. And he's like, no, I really love you. And I really love you. You. When we take time to pause as we enter prayer and all throughout the day, it's a way of being with God without demanding anything, without demanding an emotional experience, without demanding answers or gifts. Now, don't misunderstand. God longs to give himself. He longs to answer our prayers. He longs to give us the desires of our heart that he has put there. He is a cheerful Giver. He withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. But when we pause, we remind ourselves that beholding his beauty and his mystery and the love of God is the only thing that will satisfy our deepest longings. King David wrote in Psalm 27:4, one thing, there it is again, there's just one thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after. What you desire, you will seek after. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold. To behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Yes, there's inquiring, but first, behold. When we lock our eyes on King Jesus, something happens, nothing else matters the things of the world grow strangely dim and all the snow and all the flurries begin to melt away in the light of his goodness, in the light of his glory, in the light of his grace. We pause to behold. Number three, we pause to listen. When we pause, it's important to understand that we're not trying to like shove down um, or suppress our feelings or our emotions. Instead, we're allowing God in this moment to search our hearts. Like, is there anything that we need to surrender to Him? Is there anything we need to talk to Him about? When we behold the Lord, something happens. When we are gazing on Him, His beauty, when we have gone to the temple because we thirst for Him, because our soul faints for Him, when we go to the temple to gaze on His beauty, you know what happens? We realize that His steadfast love is better than life itself. And when we behold Him, we naturally, we wanna repent we naturally want to surrender some things to him. We're beholding his goodness, we're beholding his glory, his grace, we're we're seeking his face, and then we remember we've got this place over here that's all tangled up and matted up with like bitterness and unforgiveness, or we've got this anxiety over here, we've got this this hard-heartedness here towards somebody in our lives, a coldness here, and we're like, it's highlighted and we're like here, You can have it, take it Lord, I surrender this to you. I've beheld your glory in the sanctuary and here you can have whatever you ask for because your steadfast love is better than life itself. When we pause to listen, we become aware of what we really need to talk to God about. I know for me, so often when I pray, I'm praying what I think I should be praying instead of what I need to be praying. But when I pause and I behold the Lord, that shifts. And I can begin to talk to him about what my soul really needs to talk to him about. Your soul has things it needs to say to God. And God has things that he needs to say to your soul. I think it's Parker Palmer that says that our our soul is shy, like a deer in the wild. Do You want to see a deer? You know, you got to get in that blind and you got to sit there and you got to be really quiet and still for that deer to make an appearance. Your soul is the same way. And when we live distracted in a in a place of constant noise. Our soul doesn't have a chance to make an appearance and speak up and say, it's not well over here. Like I'm struggling and I've got bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, worry, anxiety, whatever that is. Your soul has things it needs to say to God. And God has things he wants to say to your soul. Ruth Haley Barton says, there is a wisdom. Who needs wisdom? I need wisdom. There is a wisdom that comes from silent listening that is different than what comes from talking things to death. I'm so guilty of this. You can ask Josh. (laughs) I will talk things to death. But the Lord has been just working on my heart and showing me like there was no fruit that came out of you talking that thing to death. You need to just sit still and you need to listen. There's a wisdom that will come from silent listening than you just talking. There's action that comes from waiting on God that is utterly different than reactivity. Are you just reacting to things throughout the day? Ah, react, ah, react, this comes up, react. There's a different kind of action that comes when we're waiting on the Lord. So we pause to center, to behold, and to listen. And I'll just remind you of what scripture says happens when we do these things. We receive new strength. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not faint. We will see God's goodness. When we wait, we see that He is our help. We see that He is our shield. We won't be shaken. We receive hope when we wait on Him. A hope that will not put us to shame. We receive instruction. We receive deliverance. We receive counsel when we wait on Him. We will receive revelation, the knowledge of God. We will know that He is God and that He is on the throne. We, we know that He'll hear our prayers. He'll pull us from the pit. He'll give us a new song to sing as we wait on Him. Some of you got the same song playing on repeat and you don't like the song, wait on Him. He will give you a new song to sing. We receive God's action in our lives. He acts for the ones who wait on him. We receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, when we wait on him. I want you to hear me. I'm not trying to add another thing to your to-do list. I'm not asking you to work harder. I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm asking you to do less. I am asking you to pause. I am asking you to wait. I am asking you to practice uh, passionate patience so that you can experience So, you can experience a life that is pleasing to God, a life that He has mysteriously given to you, all that you need to live that life that is pleasing to Him. This isn't about working more. This isn't about striving more. This is about recognizing that God is at work. God is at work. Am I at wait? Am I at wait? God is working. Am I waiting? Second Peter 1, three through nine, this is such a rich text. It says everything that goes into a life of pleasing God. I'm gonna ask you a question, first service struggled with this, the answer is yes. Do you want to live a life that is pleasing to God? Yes. Okay, a life, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God, that's Jesus. Everything that we need to live a life that's pleasing to God has been given to us through relationship through Jesus Christ. The best invitation we've ever received. Amen? And then it says, so don't lose a minute. Don't waste time. Don't waste any time building on what you've been given. You have been given everything that you need to live a life pleasing to God. Don't waste any time not building on that. Like there's something that you've been given. Now build on that. It says, complementing your basic faith with good character, with spiritual understanding, with alert discipline, with passionate patience, pausing, with reverent wonder, beholding, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each dimension, each of these practices, each of these spiritual disciplines will fit into each other and develop the others. What does that mean? It means that when you are practicing passionate patience, then your uh, spiritual understanding is going to develop. You're practicing passionate patience, you're gonna get so much more out of God's word as you study. When you're practicing beholding, you know what else is gonna develop? Your ability to love your neighbor, warm warm friendliness, uh, generous love. Each of these disciplines fits into one another and develops the other ones. You get this well-rounded, full, robust life in Christ. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward. What's the reward? He is our shield and our great reward. No day will pass without Him. As you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus, how's your experience of the Master Jesus going? You experiencing Him like you want to experience Him? You want more? You want more? I want more. Pausing and waiting in stillness. These are disciplines that are going to complement your faith and help you mature in your experience of Jesus. So don't miss out. Don't miss out on this practice of pausing. So I'm going to give you three practical things, ABCs. um, Three things to try as you pause, to recenter, to behold, and listen. I don't have time um, to Go into great detail about these, but you've got those bookmarks. Um, They're out there on the bistro tables that are like the resources. Like if you want to continue to grow in this area of prayer, there's some great books and they all talk about exercises like these. Okay. So the ABCs of the pause, A, assume a paused posture. Uh, Your posture matters in this like how you're holding your body, what you're doing with your body. You ever been working out and you hear the trainer on the video or whatever say like, you need to make a mind body connection. Maybe you're doing like a really small minute move and and it's like, you gotta think about, you gotta put your mind to that muscle and so that you can really get the most out of that exercise. We need our body engaged in what we're doing in prayer. So if you are um, wanting to pause and you're wanting to let that snow settle, assume a paused posture. Maybe for you, that's kneeling. And it's just a way to like help your body to know, okay, we're doing this. Like We're stopping the flow of the everyday movement and I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna kneel here for three minutes until I'm ready to go into prayer. Maybe it's kneeling. Maybe it's putting your hands out in front of you like this. I, I heard one guy talk about how like he does this when he's in that like pause, I'm not demanding anything of you. And then when he moves and transitions into petition and asking, he'll put his hands like this. Uh, maybe it's for you laying face down. Um, for me, my favorite paused posture is actually not being still at all. It's walking. I love to walk with the Lord. I, no phone, no headphones, no music, no nothing. And I'm moving, my body is moving, but it's an active stillness because it's in here. Everything's settling, everything's quieting. So get your body engaged in the pause. A, assume a paused posture. B, breathe deeply. Breath is one of the primary metaphors for the Holy Spirit. scripture. Um, When Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, what did he do? He breathed on them. He breathed on them. He walked into that room and said, receive the Holy Spirit. God created Adam by breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Scientifically, we know that breathing helps us to think more clearly. Deep breathing helps us to think more clearly. It slows down our heart. It reduces stress levels and cortisol. It calms all of the mental noise. Now, this isn't something that like science came up with. This is the way that God created us. Breath is important. Why do you think he would, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, and it's compared to breath? Breath is important. When you pause, whether you're walking or maybe you're sitting in your secret place, take a few deep breaths. And when you do this, it helps you. It just helps wake you up, helps wake you up to heaven. It helps wakes you up to the kingdom of God that is at hand. It helps wake you up to Jesus, to his presence, to his glory that fills the earth. A lot of ancient followers of Jesus, they had these little phrases that they would repeat in time with their breath. Because remember, the whole point of this, we're not trying to empty our minds like some weird Eastern New Age meditation thing. We're not trying to empty our minds. We're trying to do the opposite. We are trying to fill our minds with the face of God, with the glory of God, with the image of Him, with His presence. Um, So we're not pausing to, to, to empty our minds. So in order to help us to begin to fill our hearts and our minds and our thoughts with Him, there's a couple of little phrases that maybe you can pray in time with your breath. Um, Our Father in heaven being one of them. The Lord's Prayer, teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven. And doing this a couple of times, why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as you repeat this phrase, all of a sudden something clicks and it goes from here to here. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. My father in heaven, my father in heaven, he is here with me right now and I can go up to his throne boldly and I can crawl up into his lap. He is my Abba. I am his daughter, our father in heaven. Or Abba, I belong to you is another one. Maranatha, Come, Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the bride say, come, breathing out phrases like this as you breathe deeply, it helps you distill the house tremendously. So try this this week, instead of just like jumping into your car and being like, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. I thank you that I'm the head not the tail, above and not beneath. I pray that you'd go before me and that you'd lift me up lest I dash my foot against a stone. Let no evil befall me or come near me. Um, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. What if you take a moment before just jumping right in And you take a couple of deep breaths to remember who God is and who you are. If nothing else, it's his breath that's in your lungs. It's his breath that's in your lungs. Let your deep breathing be a reminder. It's his breath that's in my lungs. And it's Christ, Abba, cry that's in my heart. Assume a paused posture, breathe deeply, and then see, carry on. As you do this, you're gonna get distracted, 100%. Guarantee it. You will get distracted. Your mind is going to wonder. Don't give up. Carry on. When we try to center ourselves, I'll tell you this much. The swirling distractions are not only going to come, but they are going to multiply and they are going to intensify. A lot like when um, you've maybe had something going on during the day, you can kind of push it out because you're busy. But when you get ready to go to bed, that worry or concern comes with like this force that it did not have during the day, now that you're still, now that you're quiet. You're gonna get distracted, don't be discouraged, carry on. Assume the posture again, breathe deeply again. Hear the knock again. The house will be still, the snow will settle. There may be times when you feel like you are wasting your time, but God sees your heart. He sees your heart. He sees that you are desiring to be still and know that he is God. He sees that you wanna have time with him where you're not demanding anything, but you just want to behold him. And he's not gonna get angry and he's not gonna get frustrated or disappointed with you when you get distracted. In fact, I think... He wants us to be still in part because He cares about what's distracting us. He wants us to surrender those things that are distractions and those things that are keeping us from being able to be still and know that He is God. He's like, here, give me that so you can be still and know that I am God. Don't get discouraged. He loves you and He delights in you. In fact, I think for me, the place where I feel and, and am most aware of the Father's delight in me is in these moments of stillness. It's in these moments of quiet where I'm not demanding anything of Him. Isn't that like God? That I would sense His delight in me, not while I'm up here preaching, not while I'm writing or working or leading the staff or parenting or serving. I sense His delight in all those places too, but I sense his delight in me the most when I'm in his presence being still and quiet and saying, I just want you to come in and dine with me. And I want to dine with you. Now I am aware that there are skeptics in the room today. I am aware that there are those of you who would say, I would rather shock myself than sit quietly. Um, I know there are those who I lost at Breathe Deeply. You're like, no, I'm out, I'm not doing this. Um, Those who um, believe that maybe you have to be a contemplative to wait on the Lord. Maybe those of you who are thinking, well, I've been praying for a long, long time and I've never waited or took time to behold the Lord. So cute message, but I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. I wanna push back on you a little bit. I heard Pastor John Tyson say this this week and it's so good, guys. He said, if you build your spiritual disciplines and practices around only what you love and you prefer, you're going to have some gaps in your spiritual formation. You're gonna have some gaps in your maturing in Christ. It's kind of like working out. Like if you only ever work out your biceps, you can have some gaps in your physical formation. When it comes to being fully formed followers of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't be asking, what do I prefer? What do I like? What am I familiar with? What's my tradition value? No, the question should be, what is gonna help me be the disciple that Jesus has called me to be? When's the last time you asked that question? Sit with that question this week. What's gonna help me be the disciple that Jesus has called me to be? It's gonna require humility It's gonna require you to get uncomfortable, to flush your flesh because your flesh is gonna be like, I don't like this and I think this is pointless. It's gonna require you to decide that you're not gonna settle into spiritual ruts, but you're gonna be a lifelong learner. I know, I know, I know, I know that there are some of you in this room that are hungry, that are hungry for more of God. I know you're hungry for more of God. A couple weeks ago at pre-service prayer, a young woman got up here and she prophesied. She prophesied that there was a hunger that's rising in this house. And I know it to be true, but you know what will rob you of that gift of hunger? A fear of being weird. Maybe silence, maybe stillness, maybe waiting on God that wasn't part of your tradition growing up. It makes you uncomfortable, you don't see the point. But let me remind you, scripture sure places a high value on this, on waiting on the Lord, on pausing, on silence. Scripture places a high value on it. Scripture places a high value on beholding the Lord. When are you doing that? When are you making time to behold the Lord? When are you taking time to be still and wait when scripture places such a high value on it? Do not let a fear of being weird rob you of your hunger. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger now for they will be satisfied. Dallas Willard wrote, we now live in a time where consumer Christianity has become the accepted norm, especially in our state, guys, especially in Edmund. Christianity, consumer Christianity has become the accepted norm and all out engagement with and in Jesus' kingdom among us is regarded as somewhat overdoing it. All out engagement with Jesus, totally in love, totally obsessed. I don't care if I see it in the word, I'm gonna do what the word says. I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna be his apprentice. I'm gonna practice his way. I'm gonna share the gospel. I'm gonna live for him. I'm gonna be loud for him. I'm gonna love him with everything in me. I'm gonna engage with Jesus in his kingdom, that's regarded as somewhat overdoing it. He says, by contrast, the biblical pattern is from beginning to end, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. If all our engagement with and in Jesus's kingdom is considered overdoing it, then by all means, church, let's overdo it. Let's overdo it. Can you imagine if every person in this city that attended a Christian church started to overdo it by living all out, totally engaged with Jesus and with his kingdom, being doers of his word? Let's go all out. Let's go all out. Let's be doers of the word. Let's not live in fear of being weird. People are gonna think I'm wasting my time if I do this or I'm not gonna be able to stay up to date on everything going on in pop culture and sports and politics. Who cares? Who cares? You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. So one thing, I wanna invite you to try this this week. So here's what you're gonna do. Set aside three to 10 minutes of your day, every day for the next seven days to wait on the Lord to recenter, to behold, and to listen before you pray. Okay, three to 10 minutes a day, every day for the next seven days. Set a timer on your phone. Set it for three minutes. And then maybe go up to five minutes. And then if that was too hard, go back to three minutes. Carry on. Don't get, dist- or don't get discouraged when you get distracted. This is what I did. Start a timer, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. Now I have to be careful that I don't lose track of time because I just want to sit there all day. Beholding the Lord. Okay, so still the house, settle the snow globe. It may be awesome. It may feel like nothing happened. It's probably gonna be a mixture of both. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, are you anxious? Are you anxious today? Troubled. Are you troubled? You're anxious, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Church, choose the good portion. Choose the good portion. Choose it, you have to choose it. It's not just gonna fall into your lap. Choose the good portion. Young people, choose the good portion. Sit at his feet. Pause to sit at his feet. Choose the good portion and do not let anyone tear you away from it. Amen. If you would stand to your feet, I'm gonna invite the altar ministry team to come down and we're gonna take a moment to practice this. There's gonna be music, but we can still still our hearts among the noise, among the music, among the sound. So just assume a paused posture. Maybe you need to kneel down and put your face in your chair. Maybe you need to just sit um, in your seat instead of stand. Assume a paused posture that lets your body, signals your body to know, okay, we're doing something here. We're doing something different. I wanna pause and I wanna wait on the living God. Breathe deeply, right? And then carry on. What's the Lord wanna say to you today? What does your soul need to say to Him? If you need to come up and get prayer, come up and get prayer. I believe today, specifically two things that the Lord wants to do. Um, I believe that he wants to stir a desire in you. Those of you who would say, I want to, but I don't have a desire, but I want a desire. I believe that God wants to, to start to fan into flame that desire to want to be with him, to want to sit at his feet. You're desiring a desire. The desire that you that's in your heart to desire him, it's from him. And he wants to give you the desire of your heart. So all you have to do is come forward today and just partner with him, believe in faith that God will hear you. If, if God's going to answer any prayer, if God's going to answer any prayer, it's going to be the prayer that says, God, I want to desire you more. He's going to answer that prayer. So if you want to desire him more, I want you to come up in prayer. And then also, Lord dropped this in my heart uh, after first service, ADD, ADHD. He wants to heal that today. Maybe you have a child in kids ministry that deals with that. And you wanna bring them in here and have hands laid on them so that they could be, be healed of that so that God would help their focus, their attention. When I was young, my parents were in a service like this and I was dealing with insomnia. I was in seventh grade, couldn't sleep. And my pastor got up and he had a word of knowledge. There's somebody here that's having trouble sleeping. My dad went to my classroom, he got me out of my classroom. He brought me down to the altar and my pastor prayed for me and I was healed instantly. I've never had a problem with sleep again. He wants to heal today. He wants to rewire minds today. If you have a child, go get them out of kids class and bring them in here as we worship and as we pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person today that needs a desire stirred in them, that needs healing, whatever they have, Lord. And I pray that you just speak to us. We love you and we wanna seek your face. We wanna behold the beauty of the Lord God. We love you, Lord. Would you come and meet us in Jesus' name? thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for Newsong Church OKC in the App Store.